This is Heavy Strategy, episode 15. This is where we talk about strategies in a deep and detailed and well thought of way, but it's a debate. We're taking two sides of an argument or opposing positions or thinking about different ways of looking at the same topic. I'm Greg Farrow, with me is Jonah Till Johnson. Welcome to the, uh, another episode. Today is IT marketing. Now, it's a necessary evil in a way. You have to tell people about your product if you want them to buy it. On the other hand, you could wish that vendors would make products that customers actually want to buy that they don't need to have them shoved down their throat with a stick. I think that's a fair statement, Greg. Yeah. Um, I, I would also argue, and I think what, what prompted this whole discussion is that generally when it comes to tech marketing, if you're a tech vendor, you're doing it wrong. And what do we mean by you're doing it wrong? Uh, what started us on this discussion was typically tech vendors are marketing to the wrong person. They kind of think, uh, oh, there's the CIO will make the decision to buy our product or the CISO will make the decision to buy our product. Uh, and 99 times out of 100, that's actually incorrect. And the hundredth time, it's usually not the CIO or the CISO. It's usually the CFO or someone higher up yeah. who made the decision and pushed well, it down. Well, I think what you're alluding to there is the decision of who makes the decision to buy a technology product. I think there's a gap here between what we buy for infrastructure and what we buy for business apps or the line of business technology stack. If you're talking about buying an accounting system, well, then the CFO is a key decision maker, if not the key decision maker. And the CIO might be an advisor uh, and maybe a trusted advisor or an untrusted one, to be fair, could go either way, right? Yep. If you're leading the sales effort or you want to get visibility into the sales effort, usually that's the CEO, not the chief salesman. Chief salesman usually not responsible for sales. It's the CEO's job. But um, you want an app that's going to give you tracking. And so most companies turn to Salesforce for that because having a unit, because salespeople are pretty dumb and training them to use different apps is quite difficult. And we found out that having one app, Salesforce for all salespeople actually gives you pretty good results. And so what you find is there's a gap between how much responsibility the CIO gets, but there's also a gap between what the CIO is responsible for buying. Nonetheless, when we talk about infrastructure, IT, the most of the technology vendors are trying to reach the CIO for some reason. I don't ever understand that. I don't either. And I think one of the other mistakes that vendors typically make is to position their technology from the standpoint of what it does. I'm selling to the CIO who actually doesn't care what it does that says, here's all the feature functionality that we've got, when instead they should be talking about what the business or operational improvements are that it can generate and document that and show that. Now, that said, I'm not sure everybody should be running around selling products based on business or operational benefits, particularly infrastructure products where it's really hard to connect the dots. Mm. But if you're selling the CIO, talk the CIO language. And if you're selling to the tech folks, then you can get into the feature functionality and this will allow you to do this, that, the other. So I think there's there's you're going after the wrong person a lot of times and yeah. you're going after the wrong person with the wrong message a lot of times. Well, to me, it's very interesting the way that people think the CIO is the decision maker, because I am not at all convinced that that's actually true. Not a good CIO. No, that's no. not how it works in any hierarchy. If you're if you have to make the decisions about which products to buy, then the people that report to you aren't competent and you should fire them. Well, let, let's let's face it, though, in terms of for certain to purchases, the CIO is the ultimate decision maker. Right. And they will make. But they're not the decision initiator. And I think right. most much marketing misses the point here in that 
the CIO is not an expert at things. They are generally somebody who stares at spreadsheets and has review meetings with lots and lots of people. That's pretty much it. They got a budget. They're trying to spend it or not spend it either way. They're trying to find enough people um, and they're trying to sit down and have a review and they spend most of their time arguing upwards. So talking upwards towards the CFO or the CEO or the board or heads of department about how they can help them out. And the idea that the, you know, that companies like a brands like Cisco and Juniper and Dell and so forth can have a relationship with the CIO is true, but the CIO doesn't normally say, I've got a problem. I need five servers with six, you know, with this CPU configuration and this memory. There are other people in that decision process that are more important than that. So if there's a problem, who identifies the problem? It's generally not the CIO. It's generally the technical staff or the person who's administering the Oracle or the Salesforce or the whatever, right? Well, I think that's absolutely correct. Um, there is an entire sales framework called Miller-Hyman that talks about the dis difference between the decision maker and the technical user and the economic buyer. And in Miller-Hyman parlance, the CIO is the economic buyer because he or she controls the budget. Uh, but it's typically not the technical buyer. And the technical buyer, the interesting thing about the technical buyer is this person can say no, but not yes. In other words, if the technical buyer says your product meets our requirements, uh, he, he, he or she can pass it up the food chain for the boss or the ultimate economic buyer to say yes to. And if the technical buyer is actually well re respected in the organization, that's, a fair, that's almost a rubber stamp. If not, maybe not. But that person can also say, no, I'm not bringing this to the CIO because your product is not fit for purpose mm. and I get to define what the purpose is. So I think many vendors actually understand that, but yeah. even understanding that, they, they still pitch ultimately to the wrong person. They go to the CIO with a feature function fit for purpose discussion, you know, and then they, they don't recognize that the CIO is going to kick that right back down to the technical buyer who can say no yes. or yes. The, the CIO yes. has trusted people in the food chain that say um, that are going to initiate the problem. They're going to say this internet connection is not big enough. This storage array needs an upgrade. We need to add more servers. We need VMware features this. We need to spend money on that, right? The CIO does not normally um, instantiate the, the kickoff of that, right? And my point has always been is that if I'm a vendor and, a, and it does vary a little bit. There is a space here for two types of marketing. There is a brand marketing, a brand awareness. Yes, I was just thinking about brand marketing. Keep yeah. going, man. So let's keep the brand marketing off the table for the moment. The majority of marketing needs to be, if you've got this pain, here's the headache tablet, right? And what you're selling is what I call pain relief. That is, if you've got out of storage, you need this storage array to fix that. If you've got um, uh, not enough data center, something, you know, density, port, speed, switches, whatever you want, features, you want Excel, whatever it is, then here, if you've got that pain, that operational pain here, get some SDN, right? So there's a definite type of marketing for pain, what I call pain relief products. If you've got this pain, you buy it, right? If you've got security pain, then which security product am I going to buy to relieve that pain? There is um, a group of products which do something revolutionary or new that you've never seen before. That is... Um, and, and this is hard to explain. Splunk or VMware. I think VMware was NSX the first server. Yes, the exactly. Days, like you look at that. Came yeah. yeah, you look at that and you go, holy cow, these are 
th this completely upends yeah. all the design principles. Yes. And SD WAN, SD -WAN yeah, is exactly. a classic, right? Right. Who knew that our MPLS connections were so backwards looking? Right. Well, most of us, most of us did, that. but we didn't see an answer. And the answer was yeah. so simple. Why don't we just load balance across multiple connections? And then, yes. heck, we can load balance across multiple internet. And that actually has transformed the WAN. We've moved from high cost, restricted devices with very complex feature sets to dumb, cheap devices with, you know, well, commodity. Com in, in fairness, it's been about 30 years that everybody's uh, tried to do this uh, and load balance across multiple connections. I remember the very first Ascend box, if you remember that, Greg, yeah. way back when. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the difference is this time they actually managed to do it as opposed to all the other times when they, they tried but failed to deliver. Yeah, there's two types of technologies. There's those that, are pain that uh, give you pain relief. They have a particular marketing message, which is if you have this pain, buy our product to get pain relief, right? And then every now and then, very rarely, there's these new products that come along that change the balance in some way. And customers don't go out saying, I want an SD-WAN. You have to actually teach them that SD-WAN is what the answer is. Or software switching, NSX, or you know, overlay networking, or as we're seeing now, cloud networking or multi-cloud networking. The question, who, who identifies the pain? And the answer is it's the senior infrastructure professional or the senior IT professional that's in that space. If your uh, Salesforce system isn't doing what you want, who comes to the CIO and says, we need to uh, reconsider how we're working with Salesforce, or we need to buy this module to connect to this, right? That's not usually the CIO doing that. That's not even usually the line of business person. It's the senior infrastructure professional that's inside the organization. So the person who's in charge of administering Oracle, working with the business, and the business says, what we really need is to streamline this connection between HR and accounting so that we can do payroll faster. Well, that infrastructure professional will identify what's needed and then go to the CIO. And in the case of, say, networking, which is my area of expertise, the networking professional, the CIO will normally turn around to them and say, like, give me a two-pager with three solutions to the problem on Monday. If you're marketing, who should you be selling to? And my point would be not the CIO. You want to be talking to the senior infrastructure professional who's, A, got a chance to say, I've got this pain. I need this pain relief, right? I need to operate better or our gear is out of date and can't be upgraded or it's end of life or whatever it is, right? And um, they, and then when they, when they put forward their suggestion saying, I need thing, that's where you want to be. That's where the marketing wants to get you. Because after that, the salesperson takes it the next level. It, I, I, I would agree with that mm. and furthermore, and then we want to come back to brand marketing because that's a very interesting topic mm. worthy of exploration. But I think there's two things that, vendor marketing should think about. If you really genuinely are a category creator, and let's be honest, those don't come along more than once every couple of years at best. If you're a category creator, your most important job is to build a line item into the budget for next year for your category. Don't worry about the competition right now because the real problem is there isn't or wasn't a line item for vir server virtualization or SD-WAN or whatever the big change was. So get a line item in the budget, then you can then your second step is to direct that budget line item to you and show why you are the best in the category or at least among the top three and then your sales person sales team has to take it from there so if that if you're a category creator you need to think that way if you're a pain reliever you have to have a direct strategy right. that yeah. says how do i get into that top three as my pain relief and so those yeah. are two different things how do i get people I, aware of what my product does 
and how exactly. it relieves pain so that they see my product as, a, as something to position. And it's only exactly. after that happens that salespeople engage, right? Right. Once that shortlist and once the CIO has accepted that there's a problem and needs addressing and the sa- then you engage sales. Like the, the engineer, the, the senior IT person might like the, the practitioner. Let's call him a practitioner. Yeah, I like practitioner. Whether it's, you know, applications, Oracle, Salesforce, SQL, infrastructure, servers, VMware, whatever, right? Then the challenge is going to be how do you get onto that shortlist in such a way that and then you engage and then the CIO can be influenced by the salesperson. And that's the mistake that most marketing makes in my point of view is that they spend too much time targeting the CIO who doesn't doesn't have your has no pain and so you're selling him stuff and he's got he, they, they're just not interested they're not going to engage they're off waffling at Gartner conferences learning pointless sayings and buzzwords and listening to some analysts spout out numbers that have no relevance right or, or incomprehensible acronyms that's what Gartner specializes in let's, yeah making let's, up let's terms. Be- yeah. Yeah, making up terms. It's a bit like Bloomberg, but, where the journalists get paid bonuses on their ability to move the market. Oh, yeah. And so they love to boost, you know, beat things up. Yeah, certainly that's what people suggest. But yeah, Gartner, it's almost as if the people at the Gartner people have competitions to see if they can define the buzzwords for a category instead of actually giving useful advice. Which Well, and the and bad buzzwords, things that are really difficult to say, like CASB and US, UEBA, yeah, um, yeah. very difficult to say. But yeah, yeah so I think before we move on from this topic, I think basically the message to vendor marketers would be figure out who you're going after and hint, it ain't the CIO. Figure out whether you are a category maker with your product, in which case your job is not to convince them to buy your product. Your job is to convince that senior IT practitioner to convince the CIO to put a line item in the budget, which means you're teaching him or her to give your message. Or to reallocate budget. Because right. of pain, right? If I've right. got a pain point, I need to reallocate. Well, that's budget. the second. That's the second scenario. Yeah, right. If you've got a pain point, then it's simply you have to convince them that the pain point is worthy of reallocating budget. So it's a, you have to have a very clear strategy. And you have to be clear-eyed and honest about where you fit in the ecosystem. I guess is what it comes down to. Just to come back to brand marketing, because we talked yes. about that. I yes. see brand marketing as an objection handling. You don't want yep. the CIO to go like, "Who's that? I've never heard of them." Right. Well, I, I think it's actually bigger than that. And when you said brand marketing, I would th- I actually was thinking exactly the same phrase. Yeah. But what I think of when I think of brand marketing is Cisco or Palo Alto that comes in and says, we have the entire ecosystem that you need and will ever need. So all you have to do is to commit to buy all your products for this particular area from us and goodness will ensue. And the problem is that is an absolutely false message because under no circumstances are you going to get the best functionality at the best price by buying everything from one vendor. The challenge is once you've bit into that poisoned apple, you're in real trouble because typically brand marketing goes to the CIO. The CIO makes that decision. And now any product that you bring up to the CIO, the answer is, yeah, but Cisco or Palo Alto is going to have that functionality. I shop at Walmart because it's got one of everything. Too. And then, of course, the, ven- the vendor salespeople then can have, they can take a relationship from selling one product into a relationship of having another product. And then, of course, for a lot of big companies or larger companies, having people on the accounting system means that I don't have to keep onboarding a different supplier. Exactly. Everyone, in fact, many times large companies have an explicit goal of limiting the number of vendors they do business with. Yes. And I think the message here, what I would put out to vendor marketers is, you know, I think we can all acknowledge that buying everything from one vendor is a terrible idea. Technically, it's a terrible idea financially, but for all the reasons we've just said, it's easy. There's a lot of CYA in it. If you're a brand, you know, some sort of IT brand, like it's, it's the Pepsi 
yeah, Levi's exactly. jeans, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, people will tend to just buy brands that they know. There's a lot of laziness involved here. Do you go and experiment with new Coca-Cola, you know, new? There, there's risk. You know, yeah. the, the old saying, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM really holds true, except now it's Cisco or Palo Alto or whoever. Yeah. But the thing, I, the thing I would raise if I were a vendor marketer is you have to have an explicit strategy to combat the brand marketing of your competitors. Because no matter how revolutionary you think you are, the you aren't going to be able to make a dent in a space where the you know brand marketers win. There are way better routers than Cisco routers in the heyday. Didn't matter. Cisco had everything. The way to do that, in my humble opinion, is to actually create an ecosystem with other vendors that are not category, you know, brand brand dominant yeah. and show the and show that IT practitioner that if you have product X and slot in product Y, they are pre-integrated and work better yeah. than the equivalent components from big brand in the space. Yeah. And this is why one of the interesting things about subscription pricing, just to bring this to something practical, subscription pricing upsets the that Apple cart, right? That's the long established you you reach the practitioners, you reach and I think the success of subscription pricing is that the CIO thinks it's a good idea when it comes to spending money, which is the one thing the CIO is actually engaged for at the end, when the salesperson's in the room and the proposals are being evaluated, you know, when the shortlist is done and they're considering the three proposals, the CIO is there to help is to sign off on the final decision, at least in most cases. Sometimes a senior practitioner makes the decision and there's an internal chat with the, with the CIO who just rubber stamps it, right? Sure. Right. And but the thing, this is where brand marketing comes in, is that the CIO should have heard of the brand before. So if you're a startup, the challenge is when the senior practitioner puts your product up in front of the CIO, does he block it because he's never heard of that before? And this, of course, is where SaaS comes in. This idea of buying, uh, you know, just use a credit card and get started. And then, of course, by the time you've got 300 people inside a company using something, the CIO doesn't get to say no. He gets to say you mean we're already spending 30,000 a month, 360,000 a year on this product because it snuck in the back door. It's already, these people are saying it's critical to the business. What am I supposed to do? Say no? I think that's actually such an excellent point. It deserves highlighting because beginning of this, we talked about how maybe VMware and Splunk were example of those, examples of those category creators. Splunk had the best marketing on the planet, which was no marketing at all. They gave away their stuff free. People started using it and then they upgraded to the paid subscription. And then you had exactly that scenario where by the time the CIO became aware of it, it was because 300 people in the company were using it and going, oh my gosh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Mm. And that is a really important point. You can you can get that visibility in any one of a number of ways. I'm not saying Splunk has, you know, has the only way, yep. but that idea that your own people are already using it is, is very, very powerful. So it's something to think about. Now, it's yeah. harder to do with, infra with pure infrastructure. It's not like you can suddenly go change, you know, 30% of your network to something else while nobody notices. <laughs> well, the point is that people call this shadow IT. And the answer, right. my view is that all IT is shadow IT. So all the apps, the, I the CIO didn't go and choose to buy Oracle or Salesforce or SAP or, or Microsoft Office. Those decisions were all made by people in the line of business or they were inevitable decisions. Like the decision to buy Microsoft Office is just an inevitable thing. It's not like they're going to change from that to something else. Like getting people to use Google Docs is incredibly difficult. And 
Google doesn't make it easy to use Google Docs to be. Um, yeah, man, this, <laughs> this is absolutely true because Google has not yet internalized the concept of customers. Advertisers no. are customers, not people, but never mind that. You know, obviously, Packet Pushers Podcast Network, where we work with sponsors quite regularly, is that these people say, I want to reach the CIO. And no, and, you don't. <laughs> and I, I'm saying, well, you do. Like as a company, you certainly do. Your salespeople need to engage with the CIO, at least at the very least, to identify objections why the CIO might not want this brand. And the salesperson needs to know because if they start throwing pre-sales resources or company resources at it and their own right, time at some... it, if the CIO yes. is just going to go like, get out, get out, you know, then you don't keep going with the sale. But you also want to know where the objections are in the organization. Just because you've got the senior infrastructure professional or the senior IT practitioner backing your product into the shortlist. But that's marketing's job is to get you on to the shortlist, not to get the salesperson in front of the CIO, except for the fact that it can help with that objection handling. And that's where brand marketing comes in. And that's where doing promotional work at Gartner, where your band, you know, where the CIOs tend to, you know, like it's that uh, if you want to catch a, catch a cow at a watering hole, go to the watering hole. You know, it's a bit, it's a pretty crowded watering hole. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I agree with the premise. I think the bigger thing and the thing that you really want to internalize from all this mm. is while you may wish to overcome the CIO's objections, your fundamental goal is to give the senior technology practitioner a credible, compelling narrative to that go meets to the, CIO. the use to yeah. go to the CIO, which means you are actually teaching them to deliver your message, which mm. means you have to actually understand you 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 have to understand where they're coming from in order to give them a message that's going to resonate. Yeah. It's almost a game of telephone here that you're playing as opposed to, well, I'll just go to the CIO with a dollars and cents argument. Well, guess what? That's not going to penetrate the technology practitioner because that's not his or her job. So you and have so, to connect the dots and create that narrative yourself. So you and I kind of agree that there is, an, there is a, a scope for brand marketing that reaches CIOs in terms of absolutely if but, you're strong enough and big enough and have the have the dollars just yeah. remember it's, if you're a, it's a sheer money yeah it's a sheer money game yeah. don't go after it if there's someone in the space who can outspend you you know if That's you're going head to head with cisco product, good luck with that but if you're doing product marketing you want to yeah. reach out to the practitioner you want to yes. and that is a completely different set of marketing in my view now in the old days that was press and media you would want to be right. in the, the printed magazines because the practitioners read those they were hugely successful back in the day because the practitioners right. were using them to stay abreast of what happened in the market and that transitioned to the web page, but that now has transitioned to somewhere else for various reasons. The old media didn't survive the transition. They're based on impressions and the secret that I found in our business is that too much content is too much content. People yes. don't have time to consume it all. What they want is something that's filtered a little covering enough ground and it's informational so that what so that they look smart. And um, I hear from people who've listened to the sort of stuff that we've done at Packet Pushers over the last 10 years. And they say he was, you know, and I'm thinking of one person in particular, and he said he started off as a junior and he would sit in the team meetings and they'd be discussing problems. And he would pipe up and say, I've heard about this product. And if you, you know, and it does this, maybe we should look at it. And apparently he did that often enough that he's now actually the senior infrastructure professional. And it was all because he listened to podcasts, not just packet pushes, but others, and was following up and listening to what's happening. And he knew what, the, and he'd be able to sit there and say like, 
oh, yeah, no, the reason that product was discontinued was because that part of the market was dying. Why is this? How did you know rate, that? Yeah, right? and, <laughs> exactly. And he, and he looked really smart, right? He was able to analyze the market and strategically stand up in front of the CIO or the, in front of the team and say this. And he, he says his success was based to that. I would sort of follow that thread all the way to the end and say there's multiple steps in this because first you have to be aware that the product exists. You know, Greg, as you're saying, you have to be able to, to quickly and easily understand what's going on with the product. But then the second step is you need to be able to quickly and easily find the level of detailed information that you need. And one thing I found with vendor websites these days is they've gone off the deep end when it comes to having high level hand wavy ROI TCO stuff. And I'm like, I just want to find out if it has this feature. And there's literally no way to find that out. You get a spec sheet, which in the old days used to have all this detail and mm. it, it's, it's fluff. And so you have to have whatever well, your marketing campaign is tightly enough organized so that someone, when someone is intrigued enough to go to the technical level, they can find the answers to the technical questions quickly. One of the interesting things that I think I'm noticing, and maybe this is next, uh, next show's topic, is the emergence of subscription licensing also means that we don't get major releases anymore. So features ship whenever they ship. I'm living through VMworld at the moment. They've got nothing to talk about. Like, <laughs> except for a couple of minor, like a couple of strategic releases. And conferences for the last five to 10 years have been these events where lots of major announcements were done. New product lines would be launched. Version eight of such and such would be released and all that. And you'd have so much news coming out of them. I used to call them constipated events. There's so much news. You couldn't report on it all. You have so much content coming out. You could talk about it for weeks and weeks. Three weeks after the event, it's done. Well, it's history. It's over. What we're seeing in this VM world and in this the Cisco Live and the HPE events that are coming out and, and all of the other technology is that there's very little to talk about that's new and exciting. Because it's all been released on a slow cadence or a rel relatively brisk clip. I think that's accurate. And I think that's, <clears throat> that's another challenge that vendors would do well to address explicitly, i.e. if you make changes, highlight when those changes were made. So imagine that I'm that senior technology or junior technology professional. Yeah. Your product is interesting enough that I went to your site to find out more technical information. Make it clear that this capability was introduced after the last time you looked at my site. So the information needs to be updated. So you don't have to reread all the documentation to figure out what, what's new, because that actually is really annoying. And I found that happen happens more yeah. than you really think it does. You and I sort of broadly agree that physical events might have reached their <laughs> use by date. And well, that could just be because we're, you know, old curmudgeons who don't want to go to them anymore. Yeah. But I do think that the other side of this is that um, uh, there is the days of the big media event where you could announce a whole bunch and everybody would be excited that, you know, the Nexus 9000 was announced or this the new family of servers was shipping or whatever it was. Um, Whereas now these things just ship when they ship. Yeah. And, and to some extent, subscription licensing has um, made it more practical for vendors to say that feature is now ready. We're ready to deliver it. Most of the time, it's just software. It's just like publish, right? And it gets pushed into the cloud. And some of the marketing messages are getting lost. Now, I'm not a big fan around those constipated announcements. Let's not release this feature until Q3 and then we'll make a big media push and try and... But... The way that you reach, if you believe in what we said here about how you target your IT marketing to senior practitioners, those people don't, um, senior IT practitioners don't go to conferences as a rule because they're bored of them. And they have families and lives like everybody else. Yeah, uh, yeah I think 
Greg, what you're really saying is this puts a new and different pressure on marketing. In the yeah. old days, you could count on the cadence of announcements to craft a narrative and you could sort of course correct your narrative with each new announcement. You know, mm, you create yeah. a, you do a big picture thing and then as each announcement comes, you sort of try to show how it fits the narrative. And if the narrative has to be adjusted slightly because the announcement doesn't quite fit it, you kind of do all that tweaking. Now the importance is to have a narrative that is a little bit more detailed so that each new announcement that falls into it or each new development can be highlighted as promoting the narrative. And this is where we're going and this is our roadmap and this yeah. is how we are helping you solve these also, problems. But the days of the media announcement to get into the press, to get through the gatekeepers, oh, yeah. which was the media, that's gone as that's well, gone. right? Yeah. So it, it used to be true that the journalist could only write X number of articles in a day and you had to make something that would bubble to the top that they'd want to write about. But now you have podcasts and YouTube and, you know, any number of alternate sources that can release information time shifted. Like people don't, people still want the information, but I don't think that it has to be done you know, like to break through. There are other ways to get the message out there, but it doesn't, you don't, to get it out there, it doesn't require breaking through with a constipated announcement. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think one of the mistakes that marketers often make is to slot out slot out press and slot in influencers and treat them as though they're exactly identical. And they're really not. No. Because the, the issue with an influencer to the extent that, you know, Greg and I are influencers is, is that it's much more fluid. It's a much more fluid relationship. It's a much more engaged bi-directional relationship. Yes. It's much less of a, let's try to convince Greg or Jonna that this is a really important product. And then they'll tell everybody about it on heavy strategy because A, that's not going to work. <laughs> and B, uh, and, and B, it's more of a dialogue at this point, And it's a broader dialogue. You yes, know, I used us as example. Yeah. The, you know, the press, but the only person you had to reach was the, the media person. Who would write the gatekeeper? The story, yeah, the gatekeeper. exactly. And and the other problem with that is typically those people did not have technical backgrounds, and therefore you had to and, dumb down the story to them. And they also didn't answer to their audiences. Yes, exactly. Right? They they, they answered to their advertisers. They, which is, well, yeah, they Ish. usually just answered to themselves, right? Well, that's true too. They didn't sort of have to pander to the audience. They weren't sort of rewarded on writing stuff that the audience wanted, so they sort of wrote what they wanted. And then the companies that work for them said, well, we have an overpowering, you know, we're not making any money and or we want to make more money and that requires page views. And then you end up with these junk articles. Like the one, a lot of the media articles that we see now are written by AI and ML. Yes, the which, is, which is writes, actually hilarious. Yeah. You look at <laughs> because every and, now and then it screws up and that's uh, funny. <laughs> yeah. The first two paragraphs are usually written by a human. And then the last four paragraphs are pre-written by the system, you know, like, Cisco systems is such and such and blah, blah, blah. And they literally drag and drop them into the article, right? And so they can yeah. write 10, 20, 30 articles a day, but you can't write meaningful content in that. So I'm not sure that that, and I think that's why a lot of people have moved away from blogging, like is because the, the legacy media people have actually burned out the whole written format. People just yeah. don't read blogs anymore. I think also things like LinkedIn have really stepped up. Um, I'm at the moment engaged in a fairly lengthy discussion with a bunch of practitioners around the root cause of the Facebook outage, uh, which at the time that we're recording this was topical. I'm sure it is, you know, ancient history at this point. But the point is, uh, I think there's a lot of great technical depth there. A lot of people are putting in really interesting links, but it's a dialogue. It's not a single, you know, constructed narrative 
the way a blog would be or an article would be in the old days. It's a lot like what happened to popular music, yeah. where in the old days, an album was the, the vision of the creator and yeah. you had to play the whole album. And now it's like, hey, one song. Can, one song. Spotify you know, if you moves like on it. to the next one. Yeah. Right. But I, but I do think it's important to maintain that narrative so that people, because the framing then becomes the most important thing. Yeah. If in, influencers, whether they're practitioners themselves or whether they're you know folks that work with practitioners, need to understand the narrative, whether they agree with it or not, well, a lot of, and, well, the, and communicate it to other people. A lot of influencers aren't thinking about marketing the way we've discussed here. Correct. They don't understand that they're reaching practitioners. If they want to be commercial influencers, you know, professional influencers, right. you actually have to put your audience first and your money second. So, Which is a very tough trick to pull. Yeah, uh, that's right. And, yeah. you know, and most people actually, it's, it's, it's funny because I think most people don't understand the concept of an influencer, whether you are one or aren't, you know, and you're right. You have to have that absolute ironclad commitment yeah. to telling it like it is explaining the narrative if you're getting the narrative from a vendor and then poking holes in it if you see yes. holes poked in you know and then people will say okay you have credibility yeah. and let me listen to you and understand your framing and at least test drive your framing in your narrative which yeah. doesn't mean if, buy into it if you're an influencer you you have to have credibility and integrity because that drives yes. your audience mostly this is true for technology this is not necessarily true for selling crypto memes or something right um or fashion <laughs> you know um and your audience has to be the first thing, because as long as you've got an audience, you'll have clients who will give you money to reach the audience. And so you actually don't, in a funny kind of a way, your client is not your customer, your audience is. Um, one of the things we do on Packet Pushes is we say, like, if your product isn't relevant, we won't take your money. Um, if you send me somebody boring who's going to talk about it, I won't. I will cancel the recording, because if I put bad content in front of my audience, guess what I lose? My audience. That reminds me of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I ran the lab testing program for Data Communications Magazine. And for one year, I think we had an entire set and we had, you know, 12 or 16 issues that came out each year with a lab test in each one. And for one year, we ran an entire, I think, series of tests, all of which came down to Cisco routers don't route. And what was interesting was Cisco would give us for free the routers to put in our lab, the people to set them up so that we were sure we were configuring them correctly. Mm. And then we would determine that they didn't route. And what I and I finally it occurred to me after about a year, why do they keep doing this? Because they're getting kind of negative press. Yeah. And the short answer was that they believed in our credibility and our legitimacy. We helped them battle test their their products. So even if it didn't look good for them, they actually were committed to sort of fixing, fixing the problems that yeah. arose. And that was the key thing is, as Probably Greg, as you were saying. too long to get things fixed, but that's, well, that's, not, not, yeah. that's not new. Yeah. They did understand that what they were contributing to, but the credibility and legitimacy had value to them. Yeah, and that I think doesn't happen important. anymore. Cisco doesn't submit their kit for testing. Well, not and anymore because they, the got, cost, they got the, what they needed. In the sales contract now, they if you do any testing and release the results publicly, they'll sue fun yeah. but of course everyone should buy cisco for everything well i think we've done this to death let's let's wrap it up there because um uh, so there's there's our there's our light talk about heavy strategy which is a tagline that greg hates so weigh in and tell <laughs> us what you think it. usually <laughs> a tagline and... leaps out and grabs you by that little spot in your stomach that says yeah that's right i'm not sure it does I, i'm not sure it does either it, sometimes it if you've got a if you think you've got a motto or a slant you know that that tagline that we should have do get in contact with us 
You can write to us at packetpushers at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can head on over to our website at packetpushers.net and uh, you can always leave some follow-up. If you've got any reactions, go to packetpushers.net slash FU where you can leave your follow-up and tell us anything that you liked or disliked about the show or give us some information that fills in the gaps. Maybe there was something that we didn't consider. And if you've got an idea for a future topic that you want us to cover, also head on over to the slash FU link and tell us what you really think. Thanks very much, Jonah. Thank you, Greg. See you in two weeks.